Have you ever been traveling overseas, logged into your favorite streaming service, and realized ah, your favorite show isn't there? Different countries have different streaming rights, so just because you can watch Breaking Bad at home doesn't mean you can watch it overseas. Well, with Surfshark, you can. Surfshark is the VPN that I use every single day. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and get back to watching the favourite shows that I love. Use the link in the description or the episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan, and get back to watching the shows that you love. With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury Part 1 the Hearth and the Salamander. 2. Happy. Volver nonsense. He stopped laughing. He put his hands into the glove hole of his front door and let it know his touch. The front door slid open. Of course I'm happy. What does she think? I'm not? He asked the quiet rooms. He stood up, looking at the ventilator grill in the hall and suddenly remembered that something lay hidden behind the grill, something that seemed to peer down at him now. He moved his eyes quickly away. What a strange meeting on a strange night. He remembered nothing like it, save one afternoon, a year ago, when he had met an old man in the park and they had talked. Montag shook his head. He looked at a blank wall, the girl's face was there, really quite beautiful in memory. Astonishing, in fact. She had a very thin face, like the dial of a small clock seen faintly in a dark room in the middle of the night when you waken to see the time and see the clock telling you the hour and the minute and the second, with a white silence and a glowing, all certainty and knowing what it has to tell of the night passing swiftly on toward further darkness, but moving also toward a new sun. What? asked Montag of that other self, the subconscious idiot that ran babbling at times, quite independent of will, habit, and conscience. He glanced back at the wall. How like a mirror, too, her face. Impossible. For how many people did you know that refracted your own light to you? People were more often. He searched for a smile found one in his work torches, blazing away until they whiffed out. How rarely did other people's faces take of you 
and throw back to you your own expression, your own innermost trembling thought. What incredible power of identification the girl had. She was like the eager watcher of a marionette show, anticipating each flicker of an eyelid, each gesture of his hand, each flick of a finger, the moment before it began. How long had they walked together? Three minutes? Five? Yet, how large had that time seemed now? How immense a figure she was on the stage before him? What a shadow she threw on the wall with her slender body. He felt that if his eye itched, she might blink. And if the muscles of his jaws stretched imperceptibly, she would yawn long before he would. Why, he thought, now that I think of it, she almost seemed to be waiting for me there, in the street, so damn late at night. He opened the bedroom door. It was like coming into the cold, marbled room of a mausoleum after the moon had set. Complete darkness, not a hint of the silver world outside, the windows tightly shut, the chamber a tomb world where no sound from the great city could penetrate. The room was not empty. He listened. The little mosquito-delicate dancing hum in the air, the electrical murmur of a hidden wasp snug in its special pink warm nest. The music was almost loud enough so that he could follow tune. He felt his smile slide away, melt, fold over, and down on itself like a tallow skin, like the stuff of a fantastic candle burning too long, and now collapsing, and now blown out. Darkness. He was not happy. He said the words to himself. He recognised this as the true state of affairs. He had wore his happiness like a mask, and the girl had run off across the lawn with the mask, and there was no way of going to knock over on her door, and asked for it back. Without turning on the light, he imagined how this room would look. His wife, stretched on the bed, uncovered and cold, like a body displayed on the lid of a tomb, her eyes fixed to the ceiling by invisible threads of steel, immovable. And in her ears, the little seashells, the thimble radios, tamped tight, and an electronic ocean of sound, of music and talk, and music and talk coming in, coming in on the shore of her unsleeping mind. The room was indeed empty. Every night, the waves came in and bore her off in their great tides of sound, floating her wide-eyed toward morning. There had been no night in the last two years that Mildred had not swum that sea, had not gladly gone down in it for the third time, the room was cold, but nonetheless he felt he could not breathe. He did not wish to open the curtains and open the French windows, for he did not want the moon to come into the room. So, with the feeling of a man who will die in the next hour for lack of air, he felt his way toward the open, separate, and therefore cold bed. An instant before his foot hit the object on the floor, he knew he would hit such an object. It was not unlike the feeling he had experienced before turning the corner and almost kicking the girl down. His foot, sending vibrations ahead, 
received back echoes of the small barrier across its path as the foot swung. His foot kicked. The object gave a dull clink and slid off in darkness. He stood very straight and listened to the person on the dark bed in the completely featureless night. The breath coming out of the nostrils was so faint it stirred only the furthest fringes of life, a small leaf, a black feather, a single fibre of hair. He still did not want outside light. He pulled out his igniter, felt the salamander etched on its silver disc, gave it a flick. Two moonstones looked up at him in the light of his small handheld fire. Two pale moonstones, buried in a creek of clear water over which the life of the world ran, not touching them. Mildred! Her face was like a snow-covered island upon which rain might fall, but it felt no rain, over which clouds might pass their moving shadows, but she felt no shadow. There was only the singing of the thimble wasps in her tamped shut ears, and her eyes all glass, and breath going in and out, softly, faintly, in and out of her nostrils, and her not caring whether it came or went, went or came. The object he had sent tumbling with his foot now glinted under the edge of his own bed, the small crystal bottle of sleeping tablets which earlier today had been filled with thirty capsules, and which now lay uncapped and empty in the light of the tiny flare. As he stood there, the sky over the house screamed. There was a tremendous ripping sound, as if two giant hands had torn ten thousand miles of black linen down the seam. Montag was cut in half. He felt his chest chopped down and split apart, the jet bombs going over, going over, going over. One, two, one, two, six of them, nine of them, twelve of them, one and one and one and another and another and another did all the screaming for him. He opened his own mouth and let their shriek come down and out between his bared teeth. The house shook. The flare went out in his hand. The moonstones vanished. He felt his hand plunge toward the telephone. The jets were gone, brushing the mouthpiece of the phone. Emergency hospital. A terrible whisper. He felt that the stars had been pulverised by the sound of black jets, and that in the morning the earth would be thought as he stood shivering in the dark and let his lips go on moving and moving. They had this machine. They had two machines, really. One of them slid down into your stomach like a black cobra down an echoing well looking for the old water and the old time gathered there. It drank up the green matter that flowed to the top in a slow boil. Did it drink of the darkness? Did it suck out all the poisons accumulated with the years? It fed in silence with an occasional sound of inner suffocation and blind searching. It had an eye. The impersonal operator of the machine could, by wearing a special optical helmet, gaze into the soul of the person whom he was pumping out. What did the eye see? He did not say. He saw 
but did not see what the eye saw. The entire operation was not unlike the digging of a trench in one's yard. The woman on the bed was no more than a hard stratum of marble they had reached. Go on, anyway. Shove the bore down, slush up the emptiness, if such a thing could be brought out of the throb of the suction snake. The operator stood, smoking a cigarette. The other machine was working too. The other machine was operated by an equally impersonable fellow in non-sustainable reddish-brown overalls. This machine pumped all the blood from the body and replaced it with fresh blood and serum. Gotta clean them out both ways, said the operator, standing over the silent woman. No use getting the stomach if you don't clean the blood. Leave that stuff in the blood, and the blood hits the brain like a mallet. Bang! A couple thousand times, and the brain just gives up, just quits. Stop it, said Montag. I was just saying, said the operator. Are you done, said Montag. They shut the machines up tight. We're done. His anger did not even touch them. They stood, with the cigarette smoke curling around their noses and into their eyes, without making them blink or squint. That's fifty bucks. First, why don't you tell me if she'll be alright? Sure, she'll be okay. We got all the mean stuff right in our suitcases here. Can't get out of now. As I said, you take out the old and put it in the new, and you're okay. Neither of you is an MD. Why don't they send an MD for emergency? Hell. The operator's cigarette moved on his lips. We get these cases, so nine or ten a night. Got so many, starting a few years ago, with these special machines built. With the optical lens, of course. That was new. The rest is ancient. You don't need an MD. Case like this, all you need is two handymen. Clean up the problem in half an hour. Look. He started for the door. We gotta go. Just had another call on the old ear thimble. Ten blocks from here. Someone else just jumped off the cap of a pillbox. Call if you need us again. Keep her quiet. We got a contraceptive in her. She'll wake up hungry. So long. And the men with the cigarettes in their straight-lined mouths, the men with the eyes of puff adders, took up their load of machine and tube, their case of liquid melancholy, and the slow, dark sludge of nameless stuff, and strolled out the door. Montag sank down into a chair and looked at this woman. Her eyes were closed now, gently, and he put out his hand to feel the warmness of her breath on his palm. Mildred, he said at last. There are too many of us, he thought. There are billions of us, and that's too many. Nobody knows anyone. Strangers come and violate you. Strangers come and cut your heart out. Strangers come and take your blood. Good God, who are those men? I never saw them before in my life. Half an hour passed. The bloodstream in this woman was new, and it seemed to have done a new thing to her. Her cheeks were very pink, and her lips were very fresh and full of colour, and they looked soft and relaxed. Someone else's blood there. If only someone else's flesh and brain and memory. If only they could have taken her mind along to the dry cleaners, and emptied the pockets, and steamed and cleansed it, and re-blocked it, and brought it back in the morning. If only. 
he got up and put back the curtains and opened the windows wide to let the night air in. It was two o'clock in the morning. Was it only an hour ago? Clarice McClellan in the street? And him coming in, and the dark room, and his foot kicking the little crystal bottle? Only an hour, but the world had melted down and sprung up in a new and colourless form. Laughter blew across the moon-coloured lawn from the house of Clarice and her father and mother, and the uncle who smiled so quietly and so earnestly. Above all, their laughter was relaxed and hearty and not forced in any way, coming from the house that was so brightly lit this late at night while all the other houses were kept to themselves in darkness. Montag heard voices talking, 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 giving, talking, weaving, reweaving their hypnotic web. Montag moved out through the French windows and crossed the lawn without even thinking of it. He stood outside the talking house in the shadows, thinking he might even tap on their door and whisper, Let me come in. I won't say anything. I just want to listen. What is it you're saying? But instead, he stood there, very cold, his face a mask of ice, listening to a man's voice. The uncle, moving along, at an easy pace. Well, after all, this is the age of the disposable tissue. Blow your nose on a person. Wad him, flush him away. Reach for another. Blow, wad, flush. Everyone's using everyone else's coattails. How are you supposed to root for the home team when you don't even have a program or know the names? For that matter, what color jersey are they wearing as they trot out into the field? Montag moved back to his own house left the window wide, checked Mildred, tucked the covers about her carefully, and then lay down with the moonlight on his cheekbones and on the frowning ridges of his brow. With the moonlight distilled in each eye to form a new silver cataract there. One drop of rain. Clarice. Another drop. Mildred. A third. The uncle. A fourth. The fire tonight. One. Clarice. Two. Mildred. Three. Uncle, four, fire, one, Mildred, two, Clarice, one, two, three, four, five, Clarice, Mildred, uncle, fire, sleeping tablets, men, disposable tissue, coattails, blow, wad, flush, Clarice, Mildred, uncle, fire, tablets, tissue, blow, wad, flush, one, two, three, one, two, three, rain, the storm. The uncle laughing, thunder, falling downstairs, the whole world, pouring down, the fire, gushing up in a volcano all rushing on down in a spouting roar and rivering stream toward morning. I don't know anything anymore, he said, and let a sleep lodgent dissolve on his tongue. At nine in the morning, Mildred's bed was empty. Montag got up quickly, his heart pumping, and ran down the hall and stopped at the kitchen door. Toast popped out of the silver toaster, was seized by a spidery metal hand that drenched it with melted butter. Mildred watched the toast delivered to her plate. She had both ears plugged with electric bees that were humming the hour away. She looked up suddenly, saw him, and nodded. You all right? he asked. She was an expert at lip-reading from ten years of apprenticeship at Seashell's Ear Thimbles. She nodded again. She set the toaster clicking away at another piece of bread. Montag sat down 
His wife said, I don't know why I should be so hungry. You. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Last night. Didn't sleep well. Feel terrible, she said. God, I'm hungry. I can't figure it. Last night, he said again. She watched his lips casually. What about last night? Don't you remember? What? Did we have a wild party or something? I feel like I have a hangover. God, I'm hungry. Who was here? A few people, he said. Sore stomach, but I'm hungry as I'll get out. Hope I didn't do anything foolish at the party. No, he said, quietly. The toaster spidered out a piece of buttered bread for him. He held it in his hand, feeling grateful. You don't look so hot yourself, said his wife. In the late afternoon, it rained, and the entire world was dark grey. He stood in the hall of his house, putting on his badge with the orange salamander burning across it. He stood, looking up at the air conditioning vent in the hall for a long time. His wife, in the TV parlour, paused long enough from reading her script to glance up. Hey, she said, the man's thinking. Yes, he said. I wanted to talk to you. He paused. You took all the pills in your bottle last night. Oh, I wouldn't do that, she said, surprised. The bottle was empty. I wouldn't do a thing like that. Why would I do a thing like that? She asked. Maybe you took two pills and forgot and took two more and forgot again and took two more. And you were so dopey. You kept right on until you had 30 or 40 of them in you. Heck, she said. What would I want to go and do a silly thing like that for? I don't know, he said. She was quite obviously waiting for him to go. I didn't do that, she said. Never in a billion years. All right, if you say so, he said. That's what the lady said. She turned back to her script. What's on this afternoon? He asked tiredly. She didn't look up from her script again. Well, this play comes on the wall-to-wall -wall circuit in ten minutes. They mailed me my part this morning. I sent in some box tops. They write a script with one part missing. It's a new idea. The homemaker, that's me, is the missing part. When it comes time for the missing lines, they all look at me out of the three walls and I say the lines. Here, for instance, the man says, What do you think of this whole idea, Helen? And he looks at me, sitting here, center stage. See? I say... She paused and ran her finger under a line in the script. I think that's fine. And then they go on with the play until he says, Do you agree to that, Helen? And I say, I sure do. Isn't that fun, guy? He stood in the hall, looking at her. It's sure fun, she said. What's the play about? I just told you. There are these people named Bob and Ruth and Helen. Oh. It's really fun. It'll be even more fun when we can afford to have a fourth wall installed. How long, you figure, before we save up and get the fourth wall torn down and a fourth wall TV put in? It's only $2,000.
That's one-third of my yearly pay. It's only $2,000, she replied. And I should think you'd consider me sometimes. If we had a fourth wall, why, it'd be just like this room wasn't ours at all, but all kinds of exotic people's rooms. We could do without a few things. We're already doing without a few things to pay for the third wall. It was only put in two months ago, remember? Is that all it was? She sat, looking at him for a long moment. Well, goodbye, dear. Goodbye, he said. He stopped and turned around. Does it have a happy ending? I haven't read that far. He walked over, read the last page, nodded, folded the script, and handed it back to her. He walked out of the house into the rain. The rain was thinning away, and the girl was walking in the centre of the sidewalk with her head held up and a few drops falling on her face. She smiled when she saw Montag. Hello. He said hello, and then said, What are you up to now? I'm still crazy. The rain feels good. I love to walk in it. I don't think I'd like that, he said. It feels good. You might if you tried. I never have. Rain even tastes good. What do you do? Go around trying everything once? He asked. Sometimes twice. She looked at something in her hand. What have you got there? He said. I guess it's the last of the dandelions this year. I didn't think I'd find one on the lawn this late. Have you ever heard of rubbing it under your chin? Look. She touched her chin with the flower, laughing. Why? If it rubs off, it means I'm in love. Has it? He could hardly do anything else but look. Well, she said. You're yellow under there. Fine. Let's try you now. It won't work for me. Here. Before he could move, she had put the dandelion under his chin. He drew back, and she laughed. Oh, still. She peered under his chin and frowned. Well, he said. What a shame, she said. You're not in love with anyone. Yes, I am. It doesn't show. I'm very much in love. He tried to conjure up a face to fit the words, but there was no face. I am. Oh, please don't look that way. It's that dandelion, he said. You've used it all up on yourself. That's why it won't work for me. Of course, it must be that. Oh, now I've upset you. I can see I have. I'm sorry. Really, I am. She touched his elbow. No, 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 he said quickly. I'm all right. I've got to be going, so say you forgive me. I don't want you angry with me. I'm not angry. Up upset. Yes. I've got to go see my psychiatrist now. They make me go. I made up things to say. I don't know what he thinks of me. He says I'm a regular onion. I keep him busy, peeling away the layers. I'm inclined to believe you need the psychiatrist, said Montag. You don't mean that. He took a breath and let it out, and at last said, No, I don't mean that. The psychiatrist wants to know why I go out and hike around in the forests, and 
watch the birds, and collect butterflies. I'll show you my collection someday. Good. They want to know what I do with all my time. I tell them that sometimes I just sit and think. But I won't tell them what. I've got them running. And sometimes I tell them I like to put my head back like this and let the rain fall into my mouth. Tastes just like wine. Have you ever tried it? No, I... You have forgiven me, haven't you? Yes. He thought about it. Yes, I have. God knows why you're particular or you're aggravating, yet you're easy to forgive. You say you're 17? Well, next month. How odd. How strange. And my wife, 30, and yet you seem so much older at times. I can't get over it. You're particular yourself, Mr. Montag. Sometimes I even forget you're a fireman. Now, may I make you angry again? Go ahead. How did it start? How did you get into it? How did you pick your work? And how did you happen to think to take the job you have? You're not like the others. I've seen a few. I know. When I talk, you look at me. When I said something about the moon, you looked at the moon last night. The others would never do that. The others would walk off and leave me talking, or threaten me. No one has time anymore for anyone else. You're one of the few who put up with me. That's why I think it's so strange you're a fireman. It just doesn't seem right for you somehow. He felt his body divide itself into a hotness and a coldness, a softness and a hardness, a trembling and a not trembling, the two halves grinding one upon the other. You better run on to your appointment, he said. And she ran off and left him standing there in the rain. Only after a long time did she move. And then, very slowly as he walked, he tilted his head back in the rain for just a few moments and opened his mouth. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.